everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chapter Tactics, the Warhammer 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, the one and only Mr. Petey Pob, and with me I have three amazing co-hosts who have stuck by with me through thick and thin, Skari, Brandon, and Val. Hello. Getting thicker every day. Good to be back. Not getting thinner every day, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> All right. So, today's episode, this is going to be the obligatory 9th edition episode. It's There's a lot of content uh, that we're going to be talking about. However, I would like to preface all of it with saying by saying that there's going to be a lot of speculation. Um, so, we're going to do our best to kind of uh, talk about what we know, uh, react to it, uh, speculate. Um, but there, there's still a ton of information coming out from 9th edition. So, if you're listening to this episode... And in two days, GW announces something that, you know, makes what we said obsolete. Oh, well, that might happen. That's unfortunately, you know, the downside of recording podcasts and reacting to news as it's coming out. So, uh, but it should be a lot of fun. I think we've got a lot of great insight here. We've got Mr. Brandon Grant, the ITC, former ITC champion. Uh, We've got Skari, the best Canadian in the podcast, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got Val. <laughs> see see what he's doing Canadian. there, Val? He's totally... I, like, I was just waiting to see what he said. Like, I was what is at. this? Uh, what is this? You know, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Val, the second best Canadian 40K player I know personally. On the podcast. On the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Peter. <laughs> so we have three Canadians on the show. He's not on the podcast. He's uh, currently, yes. You're right. Fair yeah. enough. All right. I thought that uh, was so, your joke. <laughs> That was my. It was like a double double entendre. It was mm. bringing Peter down. Also, anyways, moving on. So before we get into that, all announcements are going to be happening right now. Uh, they usually take a few minutes. So if you just want to skip a few minutes in to hear the content, that's fine too. I know a lot of you've been posting those timestamps on YouTube. That's perfectly okay. I'm not going to do that because I would like for you guys to listen to, and gals to listen to me for a few more minutes. However, if you don't want to. No harm, no foul. All right. So first and foremost, Games Workshop has finally released new models. We have new pre-orders up for sale on FrontlineGaming.org, and they are selling like crazy. Uh, those Admech, Taraxi, and the Archaeocopter, and the Raiders, the Riders, the Raider Riders. They were um, sure gearing up the- to it. <laughs> Oh yeah, the, and the engine war—they're all selling like crazy. Uh, so I would not, absolutely not, wait on ordering your items. Go to FrontlineGaming.org to get that awesome fifteen percent off discount. Uh, also, if you're thinking about getting GW items, uh, I and you're kind of waffling if you want to get into it, I would absolutely. <laughs> the theme song showing up for another theme song. <laughs> get back in there. <laughs> your your limelight time and limelight was done, um, but. I would absolutely uh, order GW items right now. The items are going out of stock left and right. Uh, Games Workshop already announced to retailers and I think to the general public that they're, they were not going to be uh, their distribution and um, supplies were going to be slowing down, uh, which means we're not going to have uh, the amount of supply to meet the huge demand. Um, so items are already going out of stock. Uh, there's some items that are going to be out of stock until the end of July. Uh, and obviously GW's coming back on with its hyper-release schedule. So their factories and warehouses are going to only be able to churn out so much new product along with the old product. Um, so 
if you're uh, someone who's ordered Games Workshop product, not just from Frontline Gaming, but from any other online store, uh, just be patient with your your gaming stores. Uh, we're doing our best to get as, our hands on as much product as possible, uh, but there's going to be a big shortage of GWB products soon. Um, and just, just for a quick reference, when we placed this large GW order, um, about 80 items that I ordered, which is a lot, uh, all came back as backordered or out of stock. So that's, it's a large amount, and it was all items that I wouldn't have expected to be out of stock. And if you go to their website, you'll probably find a lot of out-of-stock items too. So there's a little bit of a public service announcement there. Also, check out the Frontline Gaming Network where you can find awesome episodes of Chapter Tactics, Signals from the Frontline, The Art of War, and 40K Stat Center if you're feeling a little 40K tournament nostalgic. Uh, some of those episodes are still pretty good, although I would skip past all the TO interviews because those tournaments already happened. That's mostly just Val and Peter for some comedy. Also, and then go you're to not fr- wrong. No, I mean I, I agree. Um, also, ninth edition's coming up. We're gonna have a lot to talk about. I've got a an exclusive interview with Reese Robbins, the playtester, uh, the official GW playtester. Um, we're go- we talk pretty much we talk about ninth edition. Uh, we talk about what kind of what he's expecting, how people are going to react to some of the stuff that's going to come on. Um, it, it's it's a very cool interview, and it'll be up soon for the patrons exclusively for a little while, and then it'll be out in the general public in like a special Chapter Tactics episode. Um, although if you've been following Chapter Tactics in the past before, uh, you do know that um, I don't always get those out right away. Um, you know, just due to scheduling in life. So uh, I would maybe you know if you're interested. In listening to it, I would definitely take a look at our Patreon, or if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics, where you can get access to that exclusive content and so much more. Also, now that GW's releasing items again, and with 9th edition right around the corner, seemingly, patrons are now going to be getting awesome monthly prizes just like before, we took a little bit of a hiatus, but we're back. Uh, this month's prize is going to be one complete set of AdMech new release items. So it's going to be one start collecting AdMech box, one AdMech Manipulus, the character, uh, and then Manipulous. one of each of the two. Manipulus, excuse me. <laughs> and then one of each of the Outrage. two new items. Now, that is subject to change. Um, if they do run out of stock of those and I can't get enough of my hands on any, unfortunately, that is that might be the case. However, I'm going to get my hands on as much admic, new admic stuff as I can. I'm going to be giving it away. So head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics if that interests you as well. All right. Let's go ahead and talk 9th edition. Uh, and let's just jump into it. There's a lot of speculation going on. Uh, the three of you have been keeping tabs on it. What are some of your favorite things that you've heard from GW so far? Uh, just, you know, it can be a factual thing. It can be something they hinted at. Uh, what what excites you the most about Ninth edition right away? Uh, I can start off with the terrain update. Um, I think terrain right now, I know Reese has come up with rules for the ITC to help improve terrain rules just for ITC events where ruined windows are totally counted as enclosed. Uh, otherwise, with the changes from 7th to 8th, terrain really wasn't doing enough, because as long as you could see a piece of their model with a piece of your model, that was enough, and you could shoot. So I am really excited to have terrain that blocks on a site better than it does right now. And they've also hinted at um, other rules besides just counting as fully obscured that could be meaningful to the game. So I'm curious to see what they add. 
but that would add a huge element of balance to the game so you don't just build the biggest shooting death star and uh whoever goes first wins now uh, brandon would you agree or disagree in that they could also mess up terrain rules even worse um or it might not be or do you think it's what from what they've said so far do you think they're going in the right direction it sounds like they're going in the right direction because they're making terrain more effective um like right now there's a lot of ignores cover actually um space marines have it um and Dark Angels have it, um, and Mechanicus has it. So not only can you get Line of Sight relatively easy if you're using terrain left over from 7th edition, but cover isn't as useful as you might want. So if it adds more than just plus one to your save now, I think that's a step in the right direction. Okay. It's actually um, an interesting point, too, is, is how does Ignore's cover transition? So, like, what will we be ignoring? Because, I, I mean, if... For example, they've released this idea of the, the like obscuring factor, which basically makes a piece of terrain uh, line of sight blocking. So does that does ignore cover mean you can shoot through it, or does it just remove a bonus you get to a save? I'll be curious to see how that interacts because right works. right now that is a, a a rule that most people don't really care about for the most part, or at least it's not that big of a deal. But it could become a very big deal. I feel like Eighth Edition has been such a solid edition. To be honest, like whether you like agree, disagree, like you have to admit the game has never been bigger or better than it has since 8th edition came in. They revamped everything. And all of us, like people who play the game on a consistent basis, really appreciate the nuance of the game and things that you can do with it. But the terrain rules are definitely lacking. And it's one of the things that gets modified the most by, I feel... TOs, not well the missions, but I mean TOs and events, they'll either have set terrain or you know special terrain rules like you know the ITC like block line of sight ruins because they they understood how like armies are really deadly and if you have just a big open field where everybody can see everybody, you know you pick up your your models very very quickly and there has to be some something in place that allows you to sort of have the terrain as a part of your general strategy when you're playing the game. And I personally really, really like that, that concept. Um, for, for me, I'd say the thing just thematically that I'm most excited about just seems to be the addition of constraints. Um, so when you're looking at, uh, or even just the, like everyone kind of is getting their own box, for example, crusade looks like it's actually going to give people who are more interested in, you know, maybe telling or exploring a narrative, over a series of games, or even just want to like make their army seem a bit more characterful. It's actually going to give them some structure to build that kind of an experience around. And then beyond that, it looks like as well that they've taken matched play and also really codified a lot of the things that sort of evolved throughout 8th edition. I mean, whether or not you're looking at the like rule of three um, or or other things that sort of were brought in to sort of tone down the, the fact... That uh, like eighth edition started just as a completely open thing. Like you, you could you could mix different faction keywords in the same detachment and all that kind of stuff. And now it looks like each decision or 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 the ability to get more freedom of choice comes at a cost. And that is like the definition of a strategy game in my books. So the more choices you have to make, um, and the the harder those choices are to figure out which one's the right one, the more you know. I don't know. Uh, satisfying the game's going to be. So it looks like they're kind of going in a direction that 
I mean, they've been going for a while, but really bringing it together and starting from the ground up with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Scary, what about you? My personal favorite is the way that they talked about um, being able to sort of like control like reserves and things a lot better. Like I'm a huge, being a Dark Eldar player, like you know, I loved when I could null deploy my armies. <laughs> so if there's some sort of mechanic that allows me to, you know, hide my very fragile units uh, for a couple of turns and then pounce like the true Dark Eldar that I am, I think that'll be very satisfying. Um, very satisfying to so me. So what's not clear to me on that, because I'm excited about that change too, is it every unit going to be able to do that, or is it still going to be a limited list? But they have made it clear that they're making it cost command points if you want to outflank or deep strike. Yeah, that's something I'm used to doing as a Dark Eldar player anyway, but I because you can like pay CP for it. However, it's going to be cool to see what mechanics are brought in. You know, the way that they they explained it, it seems like the longer you keep them in deep strike or in reserve, the more sort of tactical options of um, of deployment you're going to have, which could mean anything from, uh, you know, time for me to, uh, um, uh, which could mean something like, hey, let's. Uh, Let's uh, bring them in on the deployment zone again, like they kind of did for like two seconds in <laughs> in eighth edition until they took it away. Uh, to which means then you could like hide your stuff and bring them. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see also how that interacts with with the way they said they were limiting command points. Um, obviously, it didn't give us any reference other than just you know they're going to be doing that, but um. If they limit, let's say, like normal armies who who have bring a ton of command points, who might be able to null deploy, um, with the exception of one or two really hard to kill units. Um, I, I just I wonder how, I wonder how many we're getting because if you only get like five command points, right? It, that's not going to be null deploying your army isn't going to be a viable strategy for anyone, right? Because you you only have five units except maybe knights. I don't know, but it, it'll, it'll just be interesting. And one of the things that kind of broke today was, um, I guess, on the the reveal of actually some of some playtesters that maybe not everyone knew were playtesters. That was kind of cool. But also in that article uh, was an outline of the battle rounds and the phases. And although they said they're not changing the phases, they did add one. <laughs> and they added the command phase, which anyone who plays AOS, uh, this is would be familiar with. And that's like right before the the movement phase. And they also describe it as the command phase is a quick new addition to the turn sequence. In this phase, Battleforge armies will acquire new command points and spend the ones that they have on certain stratagems. So Huge. perhaps perhaps you might start with X amount, but also you accrue them at a certain pace throughout the game as well. Yeah, you'll never run out of CP again. Yeah, so if you actually, if you play Jage Sigmar, it's similar to the hero phase um, and even in style and the way they announced it, if you actually look back to old Age of Sigmar articles that introduced the hero phase in, in AOS version 2, um, they play very similarly. Uh, I, I don't know for sure exactly if it's going to be apples to apples. Um, however, it does kind of come across as something like the hero phase. You've got very specific things that you can do, like i.e. stratagems that you can do only during the hero or the command phase. Um and they might may or may not be tied to units, um, like what Age of Sigmar heroes do. 
So it's just it's kind of interesting. Um, I obviously we we need a little more information, but it's what it sounds like um, from what they're describing it. And also, in Age of Sigmar, command points are this very limited resource. Uh, I would even argue that um, there's not a lot of command points in Age of Sigmar, especially they do, compared to what 40k is. Agreed. Was. They do they do say that they're giving more. Uh, information about command points specifically later this week so we'll we'll know more maybe even tomorrow who knows yeah and so this actually brings me to a point the first point i wanted to make which was uh, games workshop is moving more and more towards i don't know if they're creating like a master game or something but they're combining more elements from age of sigmar and more elements from 40k together uh we saw that kind of first with like the general's handbook uh going to the chapter proved in 40k and then command points moving from 40k to age of sigmar uh it, it's it's very interesting um i i like that they're taking bits and pieces from the games and combining them together i don't know if it's going to be good or not um and i know a lot of people online are saying like oh, i don't want the age of sigmarification of warhammer 40k uh which is a stance that i can i can kind of agree with um, wanking motion although <laughs> although i'm I'm not i'm not as headstrong in my beliefs against that like i'm willing to try it uh but what do you think what do you the three of you think about this uh moving towards elements of age of sigmar and kind of like the crossing of uh, rules between games. Well, I mean, at the very least, it means that they're playtesting things in Sigmar before moving them over to Ninth. But I don't know. I never got into Sigmar because it felt a bit more like an arcade game. There was less precision required with movement. And that's another change is combat's possibly changing quite a bit. And we're not sure how. They really haven't gone into detail with that yet. So. Um, as long as it still is something that there's that you go, I go, um, melee phase or a uh, fight phase, then, um, that's still going to be interesting. And also if they change how falling back from combat works, that'd be interesting too. Cause right now, um, I tried an army that was very focused on try pointing units so that they couldn't fall back. And one of the big things I ran into was what happen in 7th with blast templates where in 7th I'd say okay this blast template is hitting 3 models and my opponent's like no that's 2 models and now the game stopped while we figure out for 5 minutes what the blast template's actually touching and in 8th it was tri-pointing so I'd say these 3 models are positioned so that this model cannot flee and I'd get a yes that's correct and then we'd come back later and they'd move their unit out of melee and I'd say wait what are you doing and they're like yeah I'm falling back and I'm like, well, you couldn't. This one model is surrounded, but they already moved it. So it ends up with another awkward rule situation. So if they change how that works, I'd be happy with it if it's streamlining. But there still needs to be a mechanic where melee units can somehow prevent enemies from fleeing. I think they have been adding a lot of stratagems and stuff that said, that does that anyway. However, you know, you know, We'll see. You know, that's that's one of the things that, that as a good 40k player, you sort of end up using as one of the best toolkits, tools in your toolbox that you can use for the game. So. Like, even a simple mechanic, like, um, I'm just speculating here, but reducing the amount of uh, movement that the enemy unit has to make it harder for them to fall back, uh, even something like that might be nice to have sometimes, so that if you're a slower unit, you can't get away, but if you're a faster unit, you can still get out. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, what are some things, now that we talked about what we things we liked about 9th edition, what are some things that maybe we didn't like about 9th edition uh, that, or maybe maybe not like, maybe dislike is maybe a little strong, but maybe something that you're a little apprehensive about, um, something you're concerned with, something that kind of piques your interest, um, and we'll, we'll start with Val this time. Um, I, I'm really super curious to see how they execute on the app. Uh, it's been long anticipated. It was actually teased uh, in the hype for Eighth Edition. It was actually supposed to be an Eighth Edition feature, and it, it didn't make it to uh, didn't make it to prime time, and that's cool. AOS has apparently a very good app. Um, so, like, just sort of dovetailing with your previous question, I think I think the like don't AOSify my 40k talk which apparently is happening is silly nonsense i mean these guys probably work in the same tiny room or at least they used to um and um you know they're going to be swapping good ideas hopefully just the good ideas and um and getting rid of bad ideas together um they're a rules writing team so um i think it's only good and honestly it goes both ways like you mentioned command points were brought into aos and you know now we have something similar to the hero phase so i think that's only a good thing um, but with the app, you know, AOS, you can build your army list. Um, you can have all your rules on the app, from what I understand. That's all great. I want to see how far they can take it, because really the sky's the limit from a, um, you know, generating data point of view uh, and game balance and game design and figuring out, hey, how many people are actually playing, all that kind of stuff. They could get so much out of a well-designed app if they have a broad enough vision for it. So that, to me, is, if you want to say apprehension, it's that, because... I'm dreaming pretty big, and it could wind up being, you know, pretty basic. Who knows? Uh, yeah, GW does have a kind of tendency to to overhype or hype, um, you know. Um, so we'll we'll see. I think that's a that's something that I'm. I think I, the rest of us are all kind of looking forward to, to seeing how it turns out. And the Age of Sigmar app was was okay. I, I played Age of Sigmar with the app. Um, the the army list the army builder that they had um, in first edition was really cool, uh, but I think army building Age of Sigmar was a lot easier. Um, I'm not, and I also think someone did it for them too. If, if I remember correctly, the the Age of Sigmar um, battle app that that uh, you could build your army list on, I believe it was a third party who designed it, and then GW kind of adopted it. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. What about uh, Scarry and Brandon? So the I, Val, I agree. The app is definitely interesting. I personally use the AOS app all the time. I love the fact that the like Tomb Kings, for example, even have their rules still in the AOS app. So even though it's like an out of production rule set, uh, you can still find them, which I think is great. Hmm. Um, so you know, and 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 that you know they don't like update them or anything, but it's nice that they're still there essentially. Um. I think the thing I'm probably the most interested to see is sort of like how this whole mono faction versus soup thing like pans out. Like as a I, yes, okay, I play I play like mono faction mainly. Um, however, I have souped and I do enjoy the whole bringing allies and building lists that are you know designed to sort of play together. So I hope that it. You know, I have confidence that they've done it properly, but I'm very curious to see so how it pans out. Is it still going to be like at a competitive level that you kind of, in order to really compete, you are going to continue to have to soup effectively? Or is it going to be 
that um, you know you'll you'll be able to really compete with monofactions as the as ninth edition sort of like develops, and that's that's probably where my head's at for that. Okay, Brandon. So for me, uh, the most apprehension I have is there changes to blast weapons. Um, I think that there's been some discussion about them being more effective about against larger unit sizes. So I'm hoping that if they implement a change like that, then uh, there's some sort of rules balancing there for units that have to take minimum unit sizes that are large. Because you're basically just saying these units are weaker than they used to be against weapons with the blast profile. And if there's no change, I don't know. The other thing that might happen is that classically weapons that are taken frequently that are blasts um, might become way more expensive, mm -hmm. even if you didn't want them to. So battle cannon, for example, is a reasonable anti-tank weapon, but if it gets more expensive because it's better against infantry, now it's worse of an anti-tank weapon. So I'm interested to see what happens with that in terms of pricing to adjust to the new rules. My my immediate thought there is hopefully that is something balanced against terrain rules. Because if, for example, maybe hiding in a crater um, counters blast, I don't know, you know, something like that. Or, you know, um, maybe some terrain features remove the blast penalty. I don't know, whatever it might be. Um, it, and also just the fact that there's going to be a lot more line of sight blocking. However, a lot of weapons, you know, as I say that, like a lot of weapons that you would think immediately will have the blast keyword, such as a basilisk, uh, ignore line of sight. So maybe that won't have as much to do with it. Who knows? But I assume the terrain thing is probably what will be the, the counterbalance to that. And if anything, maybe blast came about because suddenly hordes were very um, a lot more durable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I just get the sense that single models are going to be more powerful than they used to be. Which, my personal playstyle is I like large armies. It's part of the why I like guards so much. So, I'll be interested to see how the changes shift things. But it looks like having, you know, 100 plus models in your army isn't going to be nearly as good anymore. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Um, so, like, in generally in the past, horde units have been more powerful than their elite counterparts. Um, that, that's not always, you know, hasn't always been true. However, um, they did have to nerf specific horde units like cultists, plague bearers, conscripts, infantry squads for Astral Terum, um, you know, uh, brimstone horrors. It, it, they had to, you know, nerf these large troop choices, um, consistently through 8th edition. So, you know, I, I don't know if. If they do, if they add a this horde thing, because what they mentioned was like that they were going to make a horde, like a horde keyword or something, right? Like they were going to apply it to units. So yeah, they uh, what they what they've said is that blast weapons will get you know basically extra shots or you know they'll right, right. At, against what they called hordes, and they did okay. sort of mention that there's going to be an appendix at the back of like the main rule book that's going to yeah. sort of explain what is considered a horde versus what isn't considered okay. a horde, for example. So 
it'll be interesting to see how what they do with that because because when I read that I thought like oh are they gonna are they gonna add more for hordes are they gonna buff hordes which which would be bad I think um, also if they just make it a keyword like if they just slap it uh, onto all the units that you would consider hordes that's just like a straight nerf to hordes with with no repercussions um, or, or I guess you know just we don't know what the repercussions will be um, and then we'll have the kind of scenario that Brandon was talking about. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what direction they go in with that. Uh, that was kind of my thought process when when we talked about the hordes. But if they go back to, you know, like if they go back to hordes where you can take thirty, forty models in a unit, um, and expect that these blast templates are the are the counterbalance to that, um, I think that's the wrong way to go. So we'll see what that what they do with that. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the always hitting on sixes. This is something that was really exciting to me uh, and and uh, maybe a bunch of other people online. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the always hitting on sixes and just the limiting to the modifiers? It's something that we all kind of collectively at one point wanted for 8th edition as a change, uh, which we never got. And obviously it's coming this new edition. Um, so what are your thoughts on it? Me, my first question is what that might say about how the modifier limit works, uh, because if always hitting on sixes is necessary, and plus one minus one is the max, like there's no one aside from orcs that that would impact, and orcs already always hit on sixes. So that's, that's something I've I've heard somewhere else, and I think that's uh, that's a good point. So that that says to me that maybe the 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 modifiers aren't quite. As ironclad as plus one minus one, I don't know. Um, or maybe they just added that redundancy in there just in case something appears later that gets around it. You know, it could just be sort of a firewall so that uh, if somehow uh, you know a space marine is hitting on seven, um, they can still shoot their well, weapon. It might be true that your modifiers are limited to plus or minus one, but there's still certain abilities in the game that can permanently change stats over the course of the game. That's what I was thinking. So I'm sure those will still not be limited. Well, the Kalexis Assassin basically turns your ability skill into six or something, I believe. Um, like, so you can only hit them on sixes. Uh, mm -hmm. So that would be, you know, and then if you say advanced or something, or I don't know, some 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 other and mechanic that meant that you'd ha need a seven to hit them, then in that by just scenario. By just coming out and saying you always hit on a six, it also solves a lot of rules arguments, even if by raw you would interpret it as you still hit on a six anyway. By just mm -hmm. coming out and saying you hit on a six, there's no argument there. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they what where they kind of go in that direction. I didn't think about the um multiple effects compounding over time to give more modifiers. Um you know it, the cool thing the thing i love about this edition the most is that they said that none of our none of the 8th edition stuff is going to be obsolete so it's not like when we moved from 7th to 8th edition where we just had this dynamic edition change where everything completely changed um it it's all it feels like 9th edition is like 8 plus 8th edition plus uh it they're just adding more uh changing some things um you i might even call it like a chapter approved but for the addition instead of I, for units. I gotta say, I, I feel like that's 
That might be what they're saying, maybe to soothe all the people who are change resistant, but it doesn't seem like that at all. Like I can't okay. see I can't see how this game rolls out without extensive changes to existing facts and errata. Um, just like even like yeah, because uh, games like they'll have to take every rule interaction and make it forwards compatible, or ninth has to be backwards compatible with it, and that's just not going to work. Like there's a new face. You know, like just that right away is going to cause some some contradictions. So it'll have to be heavily patched to work with the other stuff. And it seems like that's sort of their plan. So instead of starting fresh with indexes, I think we're going to be starting with fresh facts and errata to make everything sort of bungle together. And there's going to be, of course, probably a lot of leaks and uh, ways for water to get through <laughs> those patches. Um, so I imagine, you know, in the early going, we'll be finding a, we'll be finding the stuff that maybe you know, was missed in playtesting and there'll be some weird interactions because I just can't imagine that it'll work perfectly out of the box. Well, I I, I think I disagree with you a little bit, but um, also that could definitely, I could definitely see that happening. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see. The app hopefully, you know, would be a great tool to make mm -hmm. that easier to get all those access to all those FAQs and rules changes. Um, but GW in the past hasn't, hasn't always been the most technologically savvy, uh, you know, company. So I, we'll wait and see. Um, I think that they're in a lot of ways flying by the seat of their pants with some of this, these new innovations, which is good, um, but it doesn't always lead to the best playing or gaming experience. Yeah, it's good that they're trying out new things and yeah. moving in a digital direction. Yeah, yeah. correct. All right. Uh, so, so let's go ahead and talk about the changes to the morale phase. Uh, this is something that I've, I've actually always hated the the leadership mechanic and the morale kind of like uh mechanic falling back and all that but since i basically since i've started playing um it, you know it's kind of like an argument this is old as time is uh uh the leadership like debuffs or leadership penalties like what uh the um night lords have is, is always kind of like laughable because everything always has like fear like in sixth edition seventh edition it was like everything was fearless like you couldn't so Things that caused fear did nothing, um, except for very specific stuff. And then Necrons were like leadership 10 across the board for their army, so they were never affected. And then in 8th edition, it was kind of the same way. You could spend CP, so morale was never a huge issue. You had Brandon rolling a single D6 for his guard to win the largest tournament in the world, right? Like, it, it, it was almost... Uh, consistently the morale phase has always felt like a non-factor to me personally um for some people it might be different i understand that you know some people might really like the morale phase um so when i read that they were going to change the morale phase i thought like cool i want a complete overhaul but then i think one of the first things they said was like they're just improving it it's not like it's still we're still going to be the same thing it's just going to be uh less like all or nothing and then they have got this like combat attrition idea so what are your guys thoughts on on that specifically um what i said do you like the morale phase do you, do you think the combat attrition is a good idea do you think they probably should have gone a little crazier with it or removed it altogether well i will say that the morale has been one of the things that is as they said has been all or nothing it's not really that it hasn't done anything it's a, it's a very bipolar system like there's been mm -hmm. there have been some editions of the game where morale was like terrifying if you have never played against a um a fear of the darkness or whatever librarian dropping out of a drop pod making your entire army run away in a single turn like that was some that was a real list build you know back in like <laughs> fifth edition or something like that um so they have done things with morale in the past just cool to see them sort of wanting to make morale more relevant 
And there's also ways like with unit sizes, the way morale is now, there's ways to do unit sizes so that morale's never really an issue as well. So there are ways around it to game it. So yeah, I'll be curious to see how they tweak it because ultimately they have a leadership number on every single data slate. You know, everyone's got it already. Um, so they've got a work center within the confines of, you know, so the structure that they already have. So we'll see how they tweak it. Back in third edition, for example, I believe units that were like under 50% strength had like minus one leadership. And I know in like Age of Sigmar, they have a like a horde system almost where the larger your unit is, the more leadership you get. So as of course the squad like or the big unit, you know, become smaller and smaller, they they tend to have, you know, uh, less and less leadership. So, I, you know, so I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're porting things over from Age of Sigmar to the game that they they sort of bring some of that stuff yeah. in as well. And on top of that, they've seemed to mention that there'll be more effects than simply removing models from the table due to morale, which would be super welcome because right now it's mm -hmm. so all or nothing yeah. that usually it's nothing because you just build around it. I, and yeah. then it, it doesn't really add to the narrative of the game. Like, for example, one of my pet peeves is um, there used to be mechanics in fantasy, for example, where if friendly units that were nearby to their friends <laughs> getting slaughtered could panic and run away. But in 40k, nobody seems to care if all their friends are dead. They just keep fighting until they get hurt. So it's grimdark, yeah. bud. Well, the, the other thing, the other thing's true too. Like they're charging like these big behemoths, like you know, the knight desecrator, um, and you just got like go ahead. Three scouts go hold that objective while the night. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> while he murders all your friends, or he's standing right there. You know, back in the day when you know terror was this thing in in uh, in Warhammer Fantasy, where just a dragon landing near your army could make your entire army run away because they're like dragon. <laughs> and yeah, that was mechanics for morale that really made a big difference in the game, and you couldn't ignore it. Yeah, unless you were well. Certain armies could ignore it, but it was very rare and very powerful when you could. Yeah. So having morale add to the 40k experience without it being completely game-breaking would be a welcome change, but I'm not sure I wouldn't be able to suggest how to do it myself. Hmm. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, okay, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the terrain rules. So I know we, we talked about it. Uh, Brandon mentioned it earlier as one of the things that he was looking forward to. Um what are what are some of the kind of speculations that you guys have around the terrain rules? Um, do you think that they might age of sigma? This is another way they might age of sigmar terrain rules, and that they might have like you know weird rules where if you step in this terrain, like a monster will eat you. Because that's kind of what I'm worried about, and and I did allude to this um, as well. Um, and thing a thing that I was kind of apprehensive about was GW is ultimately builds their rules around their own models, not the models of other people. When meaning that they, they won't make a terrain rule that's that's magic box like because the magic boxes um were kind of spawned by ITC terrain. Right? And that's not ITC terrain like like official, like you have to use this terrain to be an ITC tournament. So I know a lot of you think that. But but the I'm talking about specifically the brand of terrain that Frontline Gaming sells on its website, which you can pick off uh, pick up right now, as well along with your awesome GW stuff. But this episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. 
No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I, I just wanted to say that uh, this is actually where I'm kind of hopeful because actually in 8th in edition... They did do it the way I think you're suggesting, where the only like their actual box terrain sets had specific rules for the name of that thing, right? So like they had like the Honored Imperium, which was the big statue guy. They had rules for craters because the they Silicanum. Yeah, they, yeah, and they all were essentially you know plus one to cover if you're within an inch or something like that. Um, whereas I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that they're aware now of the fact that everyone has terrain collections and they're going to be cobbled together. And they talked to, uh, somewhere, I, again, I don't know where I picked this up, but about defining terrain before the game starts. So it's like actually part of the steps of the mission is actually saying, okay, well, that's a, you know, that's a ruin, that's a bunker, that's a forest, you know, whatever. So that way you're, you're clear on what, what the different pieces of terrain are and they have the corresponding keywords. So to me, I feel like they maybe are getting, they, they're, they're more flexible because, you know, and that kind of goes back to probably all of their roots, which is, you know, I mean, one of the earliest things I can remember is building those stupid little like green and red with green styrofoam balls with like toothpicks yeah. sticking out of them. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what terrain used to yeah. be. It used to be whatever you could cobble together out of the garbage, you know? So uh, I suspect that's probably the rules. That's the style of rules they would rather write because that's what their terrain collections probably look like too, with like also a lot of cool GW runes and stuff. But anyway, I'm hopeful that actually they're going to get more, they're going to go wider and define different types of terrain and then you apply it to whatever terrain you have. It might even be cool if they did like a an abstract, like there's six different types of terrain. And then we encourage all the bunkers to look like this, but you don't have to use our bunker. You can use your own bunker that you made from plywood. I don't know. A VHS um, tape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that would be <laughs> really cool. Uh, abstract terrain rules are something we've always kind of been asking for here at Frontline and, and other places as well. There's also, um, um, there's also a trend of factions getting their own terrain that has been happening in... Uh, Age of Sigmar, since you know Age of Sigmar kind of revamped, so like you know Skaven have their own piece of terrain, and um, you know ogres have their own piece of terrain, and yeah, it's happened. In, it, it's happened in 40k too. Mm -hmm. It's just all the pieces either suck or the rules Correct. suck. So like, so like... orcs got one, Genesis <laughs> cults got one, Sisters yeah, of Battle yeah. got one. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of mechanic that would allow that sort of faction specific terrain to be a part of the game more frequently or e like ease with more ease than than you know having to spend a entire detachment to unlock a um a, a fortification slot yeah i mean and they already have rules in place that interact with buildings right like the imperial fists for example um so you know making terrain like destroyable or something is, is something that ninth edition might be able to do uh, you know, they have ways to interact with buildings already. Should, should be interesting. Uh, Brandy, do you have anything else to add to this? Yeah, I'm just hoping they make it easier for me to bring buildings because right now it costs a detachment slot. But if I could take a detachment 
where I can bring, you know, troops and HQs, but also a fortification, that'd be pretty great. Yeah. Hmm. Here, here. That's that is yes. All right. I'm behind that 100. percent Uh, I kind of want to move into um, uh, the kind of like army building mechanics that they've talked about. So the they talked about on the stream, they talked about uh, soup armies and also kind of the impact that they have um on in eighth edition, which is I think they made up made some great points in that. Yeah, soup armies. A lot of people are bringing like your loyal thirty twos, your CP batteries, um, and it, it was something that maybe a newer player could see and kind of just be like, "Eh, that's not that's not great." And it wasn't even happening in tournaments; it's happening all over the place. You wanted like your basic command, you know, unit to to generate CP or your basic uh, battalion to generate CP for yourself to maximize the amount of command points you have to do cool stuff with your army whether that was to smash your opponent's face in or just to have a lot of fun um, so they're changing that up uh, and from what I understand from the stream they're making it so that if you want to soup you still can but it's going to cost you command points in, in one way or another um, and then with limited command points that may be you know something that makes soup armies uh dead what what are your kind of it, thoughts around that specifically anyone it almost sounds like the way they've been phrasing it i'm curious to see it almost sounds like additional detachments period will cost additional command points which, which actually if we are assuming that we're getting the same detachment types which by the way is an x factor we don't actually know um unless that has been confirmed anyone uh they all they said was that you can still bring detachment with with no troops in them Okay, cool. So, so I, I mean, I yeah, know. and they've so, said that you can bring more of the stuff you want as opposed to the stuff you have to. So I'm guessing more detachments that are different from what we have now. So, but I mean, beyond that, like, like, the, the reason why the detachment thing didn't really work was because it essentially made it open play, right? You could, there was zero constraint on, you know, the types of, um, you know, units that you were allowed to bring um, because you could just bring a detachment that allowed you to bring six elite or you know, uh, six fast attack, whatever. But now if it's, you know, you got to pay command points for an extra detachment, that might give, that might be where the value of a brigade or a battalion is um, because those have so many more slots for all the different unit types. So that may, maybe that's how they, they balance it out. It's like, okay, if you bring, you know, one of your, you know, six elite, I can't remember the names of these things anymore. <laughs> Vanguard, Spearhead. Vanguard, there you go. Yeah, Vanguard or Supreme Command or whatever. And, but you have to pay command points to bring a second one of those things. Then you have, you know, you have a constraint there that might discourage people from even bringing a second detachment. I'd be curious to see, see that. See, if, if I were a betting man, I would probably say that, the, that, you know, you have to pay CP for detachments and then pay additional CP to make those detachments your non-codex, like a codex that you haven't it's not your main one um and then they might balance things that way um it, you know just saying that's just me spitballing i have no idea but you know just the way that game development works i wouldn't be surprised right on uh, i think we covered all the main points um one thing i kind of want to talk about that they announced um was that the changes to forge world so they mentioned mm. that the forge world rules team was going to be taken over by the gw rules team so that it means the same people that are writing the gw rules are going to be writing the forge world rules um and i just want to say that that i don't think that's anything new I, I believe they already announced that 
last year. I was say like LVO uh, actually. Yeah, like that. yeah, like um, and maybe they didn't announce that specifically, or it might have been worded differently. Um, but I was always under the impression that the Forge World Rules team kind of got like pushed off to the side. Like, hey guys, no, they're doing specialist job. games. Yeah. Um. And anyways, uh. So, anyways, I just wanted to kind of like say that real quick. Um. Although I would be interesting to see what they do with Forge World. Forge World has a lot of um. I don't want to say issues, but th- there's a lot just of terrible factors. rules. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff about Forge World that makes it very hard to be compatible with a new edition. Um, Forge World did a really good job last year of telling everyone, hey, we're going to have indexes, we're going to transfer you over to the new 8th edition, and they did. And for the first few months, you had some broken Forge World shit, because you always do. Um, but the index, Forge World indexes were kind of, they kind of like were on par with the GW indexes. It, you know, they, I don't want to say they were seamless, but they weren't bad. But as G- Eighth Edition progressed, Forge World regressed. Um, yeah. It didn't release new rules, didn't release updates. Um, the GW had to kind of like take over the mantle and make Forge World FAQs and include them in their FAQs. Um, and obviously, Chapter Approved had the points changes, but you still had the same Forge World index rules. You still do. Um, and this in this edition, when they announced it, Forge World is kind of kept quiet. They're not even selling stuff on their website still even though gw's been selling stuff for for a while now a few weeks um i think forge so. world forge world was the probably the biggest disappointment in that eighth edition trans transition like those indexes are not worth the money you paid for them they're they like, like literally filled they were they were like, they weren't worth 15 bucks like oh, fair they were filled with like a lot of them just were broken out of like literally didn't make sense didn't work they were cut paste errors clearly all over the place like they were yeah. just bad from like a copywriting perspective um and there may have been all kinds of reasons for that but um i think also forge world because there's so much now in like army abilities and faction keywords and stratagems and stuff to have forge world sort of as a divorced thing and entity entirely it just wouldn't work unless they were really looped in on how army mechanics worked. So they really do have to bring that in because, you know, a forge, perhaps like a, a forge world faction will have its own stratagems. Now, maybe it'll have, you know, specific keyword interactions that you wouldn't get. Like there's all kinds of things that kind of will open up when you can have a second pass at them. The biggest thing, biggest thing for me is that is the largest repository of potential legends um <laughs> legends uh data data slates that exist even probably before they they shipped a lot of stuff off when they retired the indexes like vast majority of the, of the stuff in those in those forge world indexes are no longer in print if they ever were in print like rip lias you know like it's going to be it's going to be it's, it's going to be a lot of stuff that goes goes the way of the dodo i think yeah i i'm actually a little worried uh, speaking of way of the dodo i'm a little worried about forge world uh it, i I mean, I can't imagine their sales have been spectacular. Um, just well, you, know. you walk into Warhammer World and then you see somebody walk out with a stack, you know, from floor to ceiling. Stuff. That's true. You know, that's like, true. It's, that's I true. think that's Forge fair. World sells, you know, and then again, it might not sell being like, hey, these are the best rules in the world. But Forge World has a tendency to have units that are incredibly good and then units that are terrible. <laughs> And the yeah. biggest issue is they have never had that sort of hand in development where they can sit back and go, okay, these these rules clearly need some tweaking. 
And, you know, now I feel like it's going to... I'm hopeful because I'm a huge fan of being able to add Forge World models and units to an army. I think it it just really brings out, like, the flavor of, like, a list. And you can really get some cool rules that they, you know, they wanted to add in later, but they weren't able to put it into, like, the codex and things like that. But, you know, I, I, I think that it'll add a lot to the game uh, once you can guarantee that they'll at least be sort of balanced with the regular game in mind. Um, think think of Brandon over there with... With his with his Imperial Guard, like Brandon, imagine like all of the Forge World tanks suddenly being interesting oh, and cool. I would love <laughs> for the uh, Cyclops demolition vehicle to be useful uh, oh, again. Yeah. I, I still have three of those. But the rules for it are so wonky, like so many Forge World things. I just don't like the inconsistency. Like a blast range that's a D six inch radius just kills it. <laughs> on a one, it does nothing. Yeah, on a <laughs> one, it literally cannot hurt any unit. Pablo, uh, Pablo was was making those work in early eighth. I remember. I did. I, I had that was probably the most success I had playing in eighth edition tournaments was running those. Um, yeah, I, 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 just make it a six lost, inch like, explosion and move on. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Forge World's Forge World is strange. Um, uh, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried in general about them. But uh, obviously, you guys, you guys seem to think that they're on, fine, which they might be. I'm pretty sure on the back sure. end. On the back end, I think really what's happened is Forge World got reassigned in its duty, and they are looking after the specialist games now. And they've they've had a tremendous amount of output with with specialist games. Have uh, you we don't like uh, Aeronautic Imperialis, um, Blood Bowl, oh, Blood Bowl. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Titanicus, uh, and periodic Horus Heresy releases. But it looks it looks to me like Imperial Armor, and it was already going this way. But so the original reason forge world was created was for those big you know showpiece models that they didn't feel like they could you know justify with a plastic kit and that kind of has been replaced by massive plastic kits right like you don't they don't necessarily need you know those resin kits anymore yeah. so i it, it looks i don't know how long the current line of of forge world stuff will continue and I also wonder what's going to happen with Horus Heresy because they've also taken a big step back from that. Yeah, um, I think I think what I'd like to see out of Forge World is uh, for GW to take in all the 40k, the warmer 40k stuff specifically to their game, take over the rules for all of that stuff, um, remove all of the models who don't who don't have models, just remove all their rules, and then just give Forge World an identity. Just like okay, you are the you you build cool elite special units for uh, kill team and for games that we can't make. You make squats. You Necromunda. make kill team assess. You make Necromunda. You make the most badass characters. Do whatever you want. Give them whatever crazy wacky rules you want to give them. Because not because no one cares about those games, but because those games, they're they're a lot. There's a lot more. I, I think flexibility in what you can do with those games. Um, there's, you know, Blood Bowl. You can do a lot more fun stuff with Blood Bowl because didn't they do Blood some Blood Bowl, Bowl stuff already? They did. They've done a they've done a ton of amazing Blood Bowl stuff. So their regiments, not regiments of renown, they're they're like elite star players. Um, for Blood Bowl, are all really cool. The, so, sounds the, like they're developing the new fantasy line too. I think that was actually stated that it's a Forge World thing. A fantasy line like like old like Warhammer fantasy, fantasy bottles. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! If they made if they Horus Heresied the Warmer Fantasy stuff and made it Forge World, I might start buying Forge World a lot more. 
<laughs> that was a hard pivot right there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm like, I just, it's just, uh, I fell in love with a lot of those models, mm. and um, I went. Could obviously, um, I've been playing a lot more uh, Warhammer Total War, which is a super fun game. Uh, patrons and or non-patrons, if you want to hit me up to play games, I absolutely love playing them. Um, but I've been kind of diving into the Warhammer Fantasy universe lately, and the models for it are really bad. Some of them are just awful. Oh. Um, so an update to that model range, just even just the cool characters and some of the like regiments of renown um, would be awesome. I'd buy the crap out of that. Yep. All right. Okay. So uh, I think that's it. Was there anything else you guys wanted to kind of talk about with the ninth edition rollout or can we move on to the patron questions? No, I'm super excited. That's it. Yeah. Let's do All this. All right. I think I, I do have one more thing. I, we didn't talk about missions at all. Because oh my I think gosh, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge thing from the. Nobody needs missions. The unite yeah, the clans perspective. Nobody yeah, but needs... it's all speculation. We don't know what changes are coming. That's true. I... So let's talk. Let's talk about missions because they did mention some stuff, Val, about the missions. They did say that they were going to make more missions. Uh, they were going to expand on what we could do with missions um, depending on the game we wanted to play. So if we wanted to play like a small scale game or a large scale game, there might be more missions or balanced missions for those kind of games. So Val, what are your thoughts on, on what they've said so far about the missions? I guess it's, it's more on the match play side of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, What has been signaled on signals from the front line is that uh, odds are ITC will adopt the rulebook missions, uh, which says to me that they're probably you know, heavily design influence from the playtest team, which includes every significant TO uh, who runs a major uh, pretty much on the planet. So um, that says to me, like, there's a very good chance that we're going to have a sort of un- unified mission set, um, at One least at, at a lot of the big, big tournaments. And that's something that I, that's never happened in my time playing. Um, it's probably been a long time since, you know, everyone hasn't been running their own sort of brand or flavor, which is super cool. I love it. I think, um, you know, especially with the big names that uh, Games Workshop has sort of brought on board that have run big events and have been at the forefront of developing missions in times where the mission formats were, you know, not necessarily the best for competitive play, really bodes well for that sort of like competitive scene. I'm really excited. I think I think it's great. So if you have a if you have any idea of what the the missions looked like when you go to some of these events, right? Then I I wouldn't be surprised that some of those elements have made it into these uh, sort of new newfound new age missions. And we've seen it in the past, right? Like when GW went from First Blood to First Strike. Yeah, I think yeah. So, um, or even the last chapter approved had uh, had uh, kill Killmore in as the yep. central mechanic of of one yep. of them. Yeah. Um, or or was it hold hold more? One of it those was two both. Was... There was the the two different missions. One with like kill kill more mechanic, and then with like a hold hold more mechanic. Yeah. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I think I think uh, Val. I think that the word on the street kind of you know jives with what you're saying. Um, we'll definitely see some sort of unification of mission rules. Um, the playtesters that they've that I know that they've publicly kind of shown. Um, come from a variety enough of a background of not just new TOs, but also TOs who have gone out of their way to try and make their own mission set, right? Well, it, it, it's well, not just let's, like let's, random let's dudes. Let's just put it out there. Um, so 
Reese and Frank here, known playtesters. Mike Brandt, head of Nova, known playtester. Dudes from Adepticon, known playtesters. Uh, uh, I'm they... pretty. I'm pretty sure uh, the uh, the uh, LGT guy, playtester. Yeah. yeah. So th there you go. There's there's like I think it's pretty much just the ETC who have who have estranged themselves. Actually, the WTC <laughs> Neil from the, the WTC did make a post, you know, saying that they were they were looking at using book missions off the gate as well. Amazing. Nice. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And then also the playtesters that they mentioned or that they were featured in the um, 40k Warhammer Community New Edition article that we talked about uh, that introduced the command phase. Uh, those are, you know, like Werner and Adam. Those are people who, uh, Andrew, sorry, Werner and Andrew. Those are people mm -hmm. who've playtested for Nova and um, have, you know, very much dove into also mission like, creation. Are the, are the saltiest of, of salty tournament dogs that exist. Um, and I've heard Ganyo uh, may have created the basically the framework for the current WTC mission set. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, he's a smart guy. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all. That would be pretty amazing um, if he did. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're just they're going in the right direction. Um, if you're one of those people who, who comments about playtesters or um, makes fun of the 8th edition, 9th edition playtesters, uh, you know, just stop. The, I, I think that they've got a really good, talented group of intelligent people oh, playtesting yeah. this game. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And, and Val, you're right about the missions. We, well, I'm glad we didn't skip over them. Um, we'll, we'll see where they go with it. Scary, Brandon, do you have anything else more to add to that? No, I'm excited about the missions. Right on. All right. So if you're new to the episode, new to the podcast, um, you'll know, uh, you should know that every week we answer patron questions uh, live on the episode. If you want to ask us a question, consider supporting the podcast. Um, and we're just going to jump right into it. So the first question comes from patron Shannon. Which vehicle and monster do you think will rise from the ashes of 8th edition? Because there are new vehicle rules that they tease. They didn't tease, but they... they I hope the Tyranid Carnifex comes out. It's always been this. It's close too. This yeah. supposed to be a mainline unit, and I think buffing monsters might put it over the edge. Uh, I I think we're actually going to see. Um, so dreadnoughts were already kind of. Uh, I don't want to say they were they were amazing, um, but there were some good dreadnought builds. Obviously, the Forge World Leviathan dreadnought was broken. Um, the Chaplain dreadnought, uh, but non Forge World dreadnoughts, I would love to see. And I think they will see a bit of a rise because GW did mention in that stream that monsters were kind of going to get a vehicle-like buff and uh, vehicles were going to get a buff too. And it has become kind of uh, a meme, an 8th edition of uh, a grot stopping your tank and uh, not being able to do anything. And Dreadnoughts are walkers. They have the best of both worlds. And they're also a very iconic Space Marine unit. Um, so I think Dreadnoughts are going to kind of rise from the ashes all the dreadnoughts, all the all the bad ones. The uh, the orcs, like as a range, are, it's one of the deepest ranges in 40k, and they have yeah in in that range a number of different like subsets that just basically don't exist right now. So right now, really, just the green tide style of orcs is all that really exists on the on, on like a competitive tabletop view. But like a, a dread mob, so things that are focused on their their walkers, uh, gorkonauts, morkonauts, of course. The Stompa would love to see that army type come back because it has existed in the past. Do you think then, the Stompa will rise from the ashes of Eighth Edition? Apparently, you get kicked out of the chat on the GW stream <laughs> if if you write hashtag Pray for Stompa. So hashtag Pray for Stompa. 
They know at this point that people are annoyed about this. This is fantastic news. Um, so we'll see. It may be. Um, but more importantly, even just like uh, Cult of Speed um, or Speed Freaks, whichever one you want to go with, like that, that is a whole subsect of orcs that just doesn't exist right now. So if, you know, vehicles and monsters get a boost, hopefully, like you'll get to see whole new kinds of orc armies that you don't get to see right now. I think there's a there's a host of different uh, armies that would really appreciate the vehicle changes. I think uh, like at the Astrum of the Tarum, Sisters of Battle, you know, like the, that sort of army that has lots of tracked vehicles. And the thing, as an Eldari player, it's always been, you know, like you end up playing with your fly vehicles. And it sort of felt like fly was just such a powerful mechanic when it came to vehicle special rules. It's it it what it does it brings other vehicles to sort of compete with those fly vehicles. You know, you don't like a fly vehicle can fall back and shoot any target at once. However, a track vehicle can now at least potentially, you know, shoot into like a combat and at least murder something that it's in combat with. So it just elevates all other like forms of vehicles to sort of like that that status of like fly vehicles that they've had all of eighth edition. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, vehicles of the like you would have been really powerful uh, in 8th edition, and the non-flying vehicles haven't. Um, Brandon? I don't really have anything to add. I think we've covered it. Okay, perfect. Uh, next patron question. What do you guys think of the idea of balancing the game when, with intent to shorten game times, um, i.e. nerfing hordes out of the game? All right, this one I can add to. Um, <laughs> he was waiting. I have been waiting for this question because I love playing high model count armies. Um, I still support the change of making it so that you, you know, don't have more than 100 models per army, per se, um, under rare exceptions, just because of orcs. Every time I've played orcs, I've struggled to finish four turns. Um, Yo, and I think I saw you getting hustled by Reese at a at a BAO, or maybe that was a SoCal. It was open. a SoCal open. I was getting hassled. With, with 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 the Tau game, I guess was that Paul McKelvey? I can't remember. Anyway, don't 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 be bringing us orcs through the mud. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's not just orcs, but it, it's all this edition. I've really struggled to finish games on time with, with orcs for example, because both of us have high model count armies, and the movement you need to do for melee takes so long to resolve, so I'm hoping that one, melee won't take as long to resolve, and two, mm. hordes won't be as competitive for 200 plus models as they are now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, that's super interesting. Scar, do you have anything else to add? Nope, to not to that. I think um, beyond yeah, mo I model count, I think there's a huge opportunity in... Uh, Brandon kind of touched on it there in just the uh, in the fight phase. I think fight phase actually, especially when you have two close combat armies, that's where things really do bog down because everyone activates. Um, so I'd be curious to see if maybe they found some ways to streamline that too. Well, the other thing too is like that combat attrition, right? The, that was one thing I was worried about with the morale phase as well, is that if they want to shorten the addition, making the morale phase more complicated isn't the way to do it. Uh, you know, all or nothing, although bad and I don't think a very great mechanic is very fast. You just, I lose 10 models. Okay, that's it. But if you've got this weird like combat attrition table or something where you have to start tracking the attrition of each army, you know, it's, I don't know. Anyways, um, uh, I don't, I don't think that I haven't seen them go out and say that they're trying to shorten the game. Um, is that something that they said on stream? 
Yeah, they did. They did say that that they want to make it faster. I think that, that that's like a design philosophy that they've yeah. sort of okay. like said on that they they kind of are working towards. Um, so it doesn't take four hours to play a game. Or I think Reese right. also said that, or somebody said it, but it has been yeah. said. I, I think the fact. Go ahead, Bell. Oh, I was just gonna say, there's the opportunity too if they have these different sort of segments of game sizes. Yep. Perhaps they say the match play one is equivalent to today's 1500 points. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe that's how they do it. <laughs> I was just about to say that too. Is they they did say that the command points, the number of command points you got, were going to be tied by the the level of points you were playing with. So if you make 1500 points or 1200 points, the command point, the best tournament standard or whatever. Um, I, I don't see why we all wouldn't start playing that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, next patron question. Uh, with the coming change in rules, do you think this will completely squash soup armies? Or will certain armies always require a little soup to make them good, such as Imperial Knights? Uh, also, do you think that playing monofaction armies will gain an absolute advantage over soup armies to the point that certain armies will be left behind? It's a good question, patron Matt. Um, I'm actually excited about this change. Because um, there's a lot of armies where people are even taking the same faction, but they're taking multiple chapters. Mm-hmm. So you'll have the triple Space Marine chapter list that sometimes makes the rounds. So you get the best of every chapter. Or um, Imperial Guard, it's super common to mix regiments. I'm hoping that there's a change to how Tempestus Scions work, because right now they need to be in their own detachment to really be special. Because they're supposed to be an add-on anyway, but... Who knows? It's all speculation at this point, but it is going to make it much more costly to bring multiple, I think, chapter tactics as well as factions. And I'm hoping that there's a steeper cost for taking multiple factions than multiple chapters, but we shall see. And I think it's a step in the right direction because, yeah, when you take only mono faction, you're limited by one book and one rule set. So you're naturally less powerful. So you, I think having more command points mm. helps balance that out. As a Dark Eldar player, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, uh, Skari, um, one thing that, that uh, I wanted to ask you about that I unfortunately missed in my notes was uh, do you, in your roundup of the ninth edition stream that you put out to your patrons, who, which I'm a patron. It was, yeah, a also, free, it was a post for everybody, but it was on oh, the it was Patreon a post for everyone. Yeah. Got it. Fair enough. But um, you said that all Space Marines come in any chapter. Um, I didn't catch that part of the stream. What did you mean by that? Well, can you... It was me jotting uh, down well, ideas. Can you Can you repeat exactly oh, what it, it says it under just, the header? <laughs> um, it was just literally... It was right after they talked about Blasts and Hordes. Yeah. Um, uh, it, you just wrote down in a note, quick like note, like all Space Marines come in any chapter. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so oh. Space Marines... Um, like it, you know, all Space Marines will have access to all Space Marine stuff. Yeah, the okay. new stuff. Yeah. Oh, so, I see. You know. Okay. So. Was... Yeah. So it was more about you know you want to use you know your Eliminators or your you know Inceptors or whatever. Like every chapter will have access to those. Oh, okay. So it's not like Fifth Edition because I was thinking it was like Fifth Edition where you could take Tigurius and you know Lysander in the same Space Marine detachment. And it was just all vanilla Space Marines. Um. I believe that was fifth edition when you could do that. Um, I was thinking of something like that because that would be crazy, but that sounds a lot more reasonable. To just hop on your um, that that point there, I think the only way that multi faction um, winds up being sort of balanced 
or or becomes less of a like go-to standard is if basically the philosophy of space marines um gets ex expanded more which is not only staying like monofactions marines but am i right i might be forgetting this already but monofaction like just mono chapter also gave you benefits yes. so both the faction keyword um and sort of the, the sub faction keywords both of those things there was incentive to do that and only once it became like an actual choice or sacrifice to not bring in other elements did people did you really start seeing that monofaction stuff happening um yeah. so i think that's that's kind of the key element is there is there more is there do you get more for not doing it that's the only way that you know, you'll see more monofaction yeah well i think i think uh, now space rings might be an outlier um, but we did start seeing more monofaction lists dominating the top tables, mostly because they were monofaction space marine lists. Mm -hmm. um, but as I mentioned last week, uh, I predicted that the space marine codex was the first true codex of ninth edition. We saw a lot of changes in the space marine codex, and that was one of them. And since then, in the Psychic Awakening books and the Sisters book, um, they have adopted some similar rules, not not as wide faction wide as space marines. Um, that helped you if you were a pure faction, or if you were yeah. a pure, if you were a step pure, in the right uh, direction. Chapter. Oh yes, right. Definitely. So I, th I think that that I think we can probably make that safe conclusion that ninth edition has something to do with that kind of mechanic. Um, but that being said, if there are hyper efficient units that exist that you don't actually have to give up much, like for example, if these days you're giving up the equivalent of ignores cover, <laughs> you know. True. Um, to get that hyper efficient unit, you know, people are going to just, who cares about the faction bonus? I'm going to go get the hyper efficient unit. So yeah, that's really point. where it comes down to in the balancing. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll have to see if, what the command point cost is to bring that hyper efficient unit is. And, um, no, you're right, Val. I, I it's going to be very curious to see what, what they do with it. Um, and also, and how they balance I think it. that's one of the things that has me the most excited is you're going to have a choice. Mm, economy of choice makes games fun and also the thing that really caused the salt to suck is is the sort of the um oh man like the big factions imperium chaos um and then whatever else tyranids um those those are the ones that really had all the gross ones right when when you could mix that keyword in a detachment uh mixing that keyword in an army um is kind of where we got to um if they got rid of that that would solve a ton of, of you know, the soup issues. Hmm. Um, okay, uh, next question comes from uh, Patron Logan. Uh, as a Deathwatch player, are the new flyer rules going to finally make Corvus Black Stars usable? Um, because they die fast, suffer moving shooting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, Corvus Black Stars coming back? My answer is no. They haven't been good since they've been released. I think they're going to be like Centurion, Assault Centurions. Got a long, hard life ahead of them with several editions before they become good. Mm. They said that the only thing I could say there is that they said that Death Watch is getting a getting a overhaul almost immediately. So who knows? Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, there's nothing concrete. Hmm. All right. Uh next question comes from Patron Ryan. Who will be the biggest winner of ninth edition besides, of course, GW's profits? All of us. I'm hoping Necrons, because they were in such a bad place, and they're getting so many new models. I'm sure they're going to get new rules that are pretty good. So I'm hoping they're a big winner of Ninth Edition. Uh, I think the biggest winner is probably going to be Space Marines, if we're talking from a faction perspective. 
Uh, Space Marines don't seem to look like they're going to be nerfed anytime soon. Um, everything I've seen so far doesn't look like it hurts them, and they they still look like the strongest army by mile. And if they they are GW already came out and said they're not releasing going to be rapid fire releasing um, codexes and stuff. So I don't think armies are going to get updated as quickly. So Space Marines are going to be dominant. Looks like they're going to be dominant for a long time still until GW starts finally having factions catch up to them. Um, so how, I'm going to say how fast, how fast has the AOS 2.0 really? I feel like they've been slow. going fast. It's, it's, it's slow. It's, it's I mean, well, because you think about it, right? They released, they released uh, in the summer, they released the um, like ogre the ogre book i think it was right after the summer where they combined all the ogre stuff together mm -hmm. uh and then they months later released the free guild the um cities of sigmar i don't know i forgot what it's called it's but where they combined it. all the and but they haven't but that, that's how age of sigmar updates it, their factions right because age of sigmar's big issue is that they have all these micro factions with mm. no synergies that can't be taken they can't be you can't build proper armies out of them so they're combining them all into the super codex uh, and and then making them all viable right so uh, that's how they're kind of making them catch up um in age of sigma i don't know how i don't know enough about the meta to know how they're doing um but it wasn't the release schedule wasn't that rapid and i don't know i don't see why they would rapid fire update factions in 40k to catch up to space marines quickly I don't see why they would like yeah, monetarily. I don't see why they do that either. They did that all of eighth edition with slow releases. Yeah. Uh, there's no rumors of that changing anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, next question: Patron Todd wants to know what lists and army ideas do the hosts have after the announcements from GW? What's the first impressions regarding their armies? More tanks, less troops, more of that favorite unit. Um, I'm personally Tim. I'm buying a brand new Imperial Knights army. Um, I'm gonna buy. I have a lot of Imperial Knights already. I have like maybe four or five, um, but I'm actually buying a, a large six or seven model Imperial Knight army that's all painted together in one cohesive paint scheme. Um, and I think Knights. I, I hope that Knights come back. Um, I'm, I'm ex curious to see what they do with them. Um, knights haven't been really like updated or had a shakeup since the Chaos Knights. Um, kind of shook up the meta a little bit last year so anyways that's my knights what about you three as a uh, dark eldar uh, player i think it's going to be really cool to see mono faction armies sort of like get some cool bonuses because dark eldar basically have three different types of armies in one codex so it'll be really interesting to see how that mechanic works so more of the same for me yeah, I'm looking forward to figuring out if infantry are still viable, and if so, how. I think that if vehicles do get stronger, I think we've talked in the past about skew lists and going around the meta, so I still think there might be room for an off-meta list that has 100 models in it, just because if everyone's playing with 20 models, um, they're not really going to be planning for 100. So we'll see. I'm excited to see what comes anyway. Nice. What about yeah. Val? More Stompas? Yeah, no, I'm just super curious. I, I would love to be able to play an orc like, on the opposite side of uh, Brandon here. I'd love to be able to play an orc army that doesn't have 200 models. Like, I was playing the um, the Mega Knobs 
um, just because that got me down to like 140 models, <laughs> you know, like, then that was, that's a lean orc list, you know? So, uh, that, I think that'd be great. Just not have, not being forced into, you know, a, a specific archetype. It'd be great to see more. It's always good to see more builds viable for more different armies. And in the same breath, I'm going to say, uh, it sure looks like just about every battle tome for all the major, uh, races has been released for Age of Sigmar in the last two years. Thank you. Oh, okay. So they, so they finally. It's night hunt. Yeah, for, I, don't, I don't want to rattle them all off, but like, there's a ton of books. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, have, but it took them two years to release them all. Um, looks like well, to the end of 2019, there have been three in 2020. Uh, but to the end of 2019, you had um, Stormcast, Night Hunt, Beast, Gloom Skype Gets, Battle Tome, Flesh Eater Courts. Actually, here, this is how I'll do it. In 2019, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, oh. twelve, twelve books. Oh, <laughs> one a month. One a month. That's which, which is rapid fire for Jeb you. Um, but if you're a Space Marine player and you're every month have to compete with just one updated faction, that's not that bad. But like you it's, said, like these are all mega factions now. So like that's true. these these all bring together massive groups of of what were like Cities of Sigmar is tons of different former factions so it's like five or six it's a lot um yeah yeah uh it's gonna be interesting um obviously gw doesn't or 40k doesn't have that issue um but it'll be interesting to see how they bring other codexes in line and how quickly that happens i'm saying Uh, one a month at least although they were going like two a month at at times during the eighth launch so yeah and eighth it was fast eighth was fast we we had you know two or three ever like five or six a quarter it was crazy. Yeah, they um, well, they came out saying that it would be fully updated within a by a year, and I think they actually got it done in a year and a half or so, if memory serves. All right. Um, so, uh, Brandon, are you going to build sisters? Are you going to jump in? How's the sisters train going? People ask me all the time. I'm so playing on TTS now, and I have a list that's working reasonably well, but it could use some polish. Okay. All right, and then finally, patron Kelsey, when processing information about a new edition or massive rules change, do you wait till you have all of the rules before brewing up lists, or do you speculate and start brewing as rules come in? A little both. I'll tell you, Kelsey, a, pa- a Pablo special is I wait for all the rules to come out, then I wait a little bit longer to see what all the best players come up with. Bingo. And then I forget to build the list, <laughs> the and I wait even that. longer... And then I finally come up with a list that's six months outdated to take it to a tournament, <laughs> lose, and then stop playing for six more months. That's that's what that's a, I... A sad story. Malaceptor destroyed my army. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I never played 8th edition again since the Malaceptor killed me. I've, all my other tournament results have been lies. <laughs> um, obviously, joking aside, uh, I would wait personally, but what about you three? I think it's important to keep up to date with the changes. Um, however, I think it's also important to sort of like not just jump the gun and just kind of like digest the information before you sort of like make like broad changes to your list or go off on a buying spree. Like still get like right now, for example, I'm buying models that I think are going to be fun to own mm. rather than like, oh, I think they're going to be the best in the next edition. So I'll sit down, I'll collect, I'll build, I'll paint them. And then when the next edition comes out, okay, cool. This unit's 
this unit's good, that unit's good, I want to expand my collection with this or that. It's one of the benefits of <laughs> playing one faction is I tend to have one of everything. So if anything is really good in a new edition or with a new codex, you don't really have to go very far to add it into your list. Yeah, that was actually a tip we had in a previous episode of Chapter Tactics on how to always stay relevant across edition changes is um is try to try to keep a faction that you have almost every model of and then that we don't have to spend as much. Makes perfect sense and it's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um all right, always be spending so that you can save. I like it. <laughs> All right. So that's it. That's it for the episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, as always, don't forget to go to Frontline Gaming Network, the Frontline Gaming Network, and listen to all the other episodes where we're going to be probably posting lots of ninth edition talk topics, uh, getting insight from top players and playtesters, and so much more. Maybe even an episode of Chat Center where Aval and Peter can talk about chatting stuff. No, we'll chat about some stuff. We'll chat about some stuff. Anyways, all right. Val, Brandon, and Scary. I almost said your real name. It's all good. <laughs> uh, um, Val, Brandon, and Scary. Thank you so much for listening. Plug away, starting with Val. Uh, the first thing tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on the Honest War Gamer with uh, Rob Symes and 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 Pete the Falcon. Maybe sometimes he sleeps in. So that's uh, that's uh, noon British Standard Time, seven a.m. Eastern, four a.m. Pacific. Uh, come and get it while it's hot. Absolutely. Uh, Scary, where can they find you if they loved listening to you? Well, my lovely voice is available every uh, Monday through Friday t- on Twitch at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We do a cool hobby hangout where we sit down and hashtag just put paint on it because that's what we do. And we listen to music and it's really fun. And uh, other than that, nice. you can find me on Patreon. And yeah, that's it. What's your Patreon? Oh, uh, Scardcast, which is pretty much what I use for everything. Or you can get me as a coach on The Art of War if you want to like learn some uh, new stuff as the new edition comes out and want to keep up to date and in- improve your game and uh, all that good stuff. All right. And then finally, Brandon, any plugs do you have? Um, so I enjoyed playing a uh, TTS game with a subscriber to the Patreon. That was fun. But also, I have a... Uh, Skola Tactica, which is the guard group. Don't worry about spelling it. If you're interested in joining and you want to talk about Imperial Guard, just message me on Facebook. At Brandon Grant. You should get on Twitter, Brandon. I think I feel like you would be very good at Twitter. Okay. Thanks, Pablo. Just get, get at get at Twitter. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. That was a good Twitter. That was a good Twitter response. It was under twenty, uh, you know, under one hundred fifty characters. Perfect. One hundred fifty characters. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for listening. You are all the best listeners in the world. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as always, have a good one. Bye. Yeehaw.